One of my favorite questions that I get asked is, what are the chances of something happening? And if I'm feeling particularly like a smart aleck, although you could substitute a different A beginning word with that, I will often respond 50-50. And the person will look at me very quizzically like, and I'm like, the chances, the chances of something, chances of anything happening are 50-50. Either they will or they won't. And they'll look at me still quizzically, and I'm like, are you looking for the probability of something happening or the chance of something happening? The chance of something happening is 50-50, all times. Either it will or it won't. The probability of something happening is where odds come into the game. So the chance that it will rain today is 50-50. The probability that it'll rain today is 100%. The chances that I'll win playing poker with Daniel Negrano, 50-50. The probability, one in 100. Wrestling with Eric. Chances I could beat Eric wrestling, 50-50. Either it will or it won't. Probability, zero. (laughs) What's the chance your kids will call you on Mother's Day? 50-50. What are the odds? One in five, maybe? Did you catch the Kentucky Derby yesterday? I bring up the Kentucky Derby every year because it was one of my mom's favorite races. Um, She loved to watch the ponies, even though I don't think she was much of a gambler. You saw the odds, right? Because any horse can win, right? That's why you enter the Kentucky Derby. Mo Donegal, 9 to 1, okay? I don't even know what these things mean. Epicenter was 5 to 1. So is that a betting thing? Is that a a thing that they really think there's one chance out of five they'll win? Tabia, Five to one. Okay, at 4.49 Central Time, the long shots. Tawny Part, love the name, 75 to one. Classic Causeway, 77 to one. And Rich Strike, an 80 to one long shot. Did you see it? Did you see it? He could go all the way. Hashtag Chris Berman. I want to rescue an idea today and perhaps enhance God's reputation. It revolves around this word discipline. Listen for it, okay? And and when you hear it, think about it, all right? Is it a hard word? Is it an easy word? And then as discipline relates to God, is it an easy thing or a hard thing? Verse 3, page 1008, Hebrews chapter 12. Three could have been included in last week but I wanted a little bit of Jesus in this week too. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. A hostile work environment. There are certain questions you can't ask legally of an individual that you're employing, okay? You can't ask them a question like, oh, you speak with an accent. Where are you from? You can't answer that, ask that question legally. How old are you? When did you graduate? Okay? You can't legally ask that question. Do you have a disability? When did you become disabled? Are you on any medications? You can't ask that question. Are you married? What does your spouse do? Off limits, all protected class, all things that contribute to an adverse work environment. Are you pregnant? Okay? Do you plan on starting a family? I once had a friend of mine who wouldn't hire a young woman because she knew that, that young women tend to get pregnant and then they're off work for extended periods of time. And I say she knew because she was a woman. 
How many children do you have? Can't ask that question. How old are your children? Can't. Are you a U.S.? You can't even ask, are you a United States citizen? All contributing to an adverse work environment. That's the mentality then. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider to think to think carefully. And we continually come back to this example of Jesus Christ. A peerless example of what it means to do life. I think there's encouragement to be found in the example of Christ. He, he did it. Okay? He did it. I can do it. I, I think there's strength to be found in Christ. Okay, identity with Christ, Christ is in me. I have the strength to do this thing that is before me. There's admonition to be found in the example of Jesus Christ. If we are Christ followers, the idea is that we should follow Christ, the encouragement to act and behave and engage with life as Christ did. And specifically, enduring with sinners. Specifically, this idea of struggling against sin. Two, two different ideas, right? Enduring with sinners, okay? Struggling with sin, okay? If you notice a difference, it's because a difference exists. Enduring with sinners. D don't get freaked out when the world is weird. No one should ever be surprised that the world is weird. No one should ever be, oh, wow, I didn't anticipate the world to be so weird. No one should ever think that. We live in an environment where the world is weird. Don't get freaked out by it. Struggling against sin. If enduring with sinners are the things external to us that we endure, notice now the change, right, in verb, from endure to struggle. We struggle against sin, the stuff that's inside. We've said this repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. The greatest obstacle to the establishment of the kingdom of God in our lives is not something that is external to us. It's right here. It's us. It's me. Enduring. Endurance. The idea of being able to last longer, to be able to go further, to have built up endurance in the face of a world that is a difficult place to live. And this idea of struggling, this idea of being more internal. I love it when someone would say, I've done everything that I could. I just don't know how to defeat this. I don't know how to wrestle with this thing that exists inside. I've done everything. The writer of Hebrews would say, unless you shed blood, you haven't done everything. Okay. Back to square one. The text continues, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son, every daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son, what daughter is there whom the Lord does not discipline? The, 
Now, three and four just flow seamlessly into five and following, right? And so you're tempted, right? Or at least I'm tempted to think, okay, what's happening in three or four is directly linked to to five and beyond. That is to say, the, the hostility that I encounter living in the world in which I live in, the, uh, the, the struggle against sin, is that connected to the discipline of God? Okay? Are you with me? Or are these distinct? Is three and four distinct from five and following? That is to say, three and four this, and now we're on a new idea, this idea of discipline. Restating it, okay, is it God causing the suffering as a means of discipline? So is it God causing the world to be in the state that it is in as a means of disciplining his people? Is God causing, okay, or is suffering the result of living in this world? and specifically living for God and wrestling with the realities of following God or not following God. And to be sure, there are people who would be in the former camp, maybe even people in this room. And I would be the first to admit, I think there are times in our lives where God invites us, and and certainly I would say God can do whatever God wants to do. But also, if you've listened to me long enough, you probably know which camp I'm more in. That suffering is the result of living in the world. Specifically, when we live for God and wrestling with the realities of following God or not following God. And the thing that I hope to correct maybe just a little bit or, or, or put a sharper point on is I think sometimes people have this view of God, right? They have this view of God that, 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 that God's just waiting for me to screw up. That God's waiting for me to screw up so he can give me a whack across the hands or worse. We, we have this view that God is this corporal punishment diva waiting like an angry man. And maybe it's because I have walked a pathway of my own irrational anger, right? And I've spoken to this before, right? You get so angry, you get so big, just to prove what? I mean, what does is, what is our anger prove, right? Get bigger than life. Everyone around us is terrified. Has anything been solved? No, probably not. And so we have this view of God, right? as this angry man who's just waiting for us to screw up. And then we apply it to this idea of discipline. And to be sure, there's verses in the Bible, spare the rod, spoil the child. I get all that stuff. Yep, I get it, I get it, I get it. But when we think of God in a wrong way, And when we think of discipline in a wrong way, 
It's going to skew how we view God. It's going to skew how we view this idea of discipline. And being penalized for bad behavior, I would argue, is a very small portion of true discipline. I, I would argue it's maybe not even discipline. It might be retribution. It might be punishment. And certainly there are some punishments that, that will help change behavior. And so I support a parent using some sort of punishment, corporal or otherwise, but, but isn't the hope of a parent that, that the child will move beyond discipline as punishment and more to discipline as changing behavior? And that's what discipline means, changing behavior. And God invites us to change behavior. And the link here is a good parent disciplines. A, a good parent invites a child to change their behavior to something more, something that might be informed by more than their 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 or 14 years of existence. And so the more I think about this concept of discipline, the more I think about this idea of Mother's Day, the more I think about my mom, right? Okay, And I don't know that I ever really saw my mom get big and angry. I'm not sure that I saw her angry that much at all. I saw her sad. I saw her frustrated. I saw her disappointed. I saw her wondering, especially when it came to me. I was a complete screw-up. Not phenomenally bad, but just bad enough to be like, where is this kid going? And you would have looked at my family, and you would have said, my dad, Bill, was the disciplinarian. But I think I would think about it differently now. Dad was certainly the one that would punish, and my older brothers got it way worse than I did. My sister got off scot-free. <laughs> and to the extent that punishment would act as a deterrent for future bad behavior, okay, disciplinarian, but that never really worked for me. My mom, I think, with some reflection, was the one who really disciplined me. She's really the one who invited me to change my behavior. She invited me to look at the world differently. And maybe it because she was a preacher's kid, and maybe it because she was a sociology psych major, or maybe it was because she had worked in a state hospital for those with profound mental illnesses. But I think also she just knew beating on someone wasn't likely to produce meaningful change. And I'm sure my mom gave me a whack or two, and I certainly deserved it. But most often, her hands were folded in prayer, hoping for the best, asking for the best, wondering when the best might happen, offering a key word or here or there. You know, like I come home and she's like, um, now that you're graduated from college, you'll be paying for your own expenses if you're going to live in our house. I was like, what? <laughs> and she would allow natural consequences She waited until I came to my senses, wanting a change in me. And, and I think that is what is going on here. That the text is dealing with these three grand ideas, right? Endurance in the face of external threats. Struggle, wrestle with the internal threats. And embrace discipline. E embrace it embrace the reality that you can change behavior. And the standard is to change 
to God's best for us. We're going to get to that in a second. Let's talk a little bit about learning orientation, right? Okay? Yeah, people that like to learn and like, but I think that's different than having a teachable spirit, okay? So learning orientation, okay, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to changing behavior, a learning orientation is that you are curious about the world around you, okay? You want to learn stuff, okay? And so you might read a book or you might uh, enter voluntarily into someone and say, hey, mentor me, take care of me, uh, watch over me, give me some advice when I'm going off pathway, okay? But largely it's self-directed, okay? A learning orientation. Discipline that is internally focused, internally driven. But as important as a learning orientation is, I think we also must have a teachable spirit. And this is something that happens to me, external to me, without me inviting it. So I'm cruising along in life, and I bump into folks that I'm like, oh, wow, that's very interesting. It's not necessarily that I'm saying I want their insight into my life, but if I'm teachable, I can see it and I can be open to it. A learning orientation, being curious around the world, around the world, curious about the world around us, and a teachable spirit. Am I willing to learn from non-traditional sources in non-traditional ways? And frequently, a teachable spirit means we find it in unique places, right? I mean, it's easy for us to look at the person who is wildly successful, uh, the person who has accomplished much in their life in terms of wealth accumulation or business acumen or political savvy or whatever it else might be. But a teachable spirit often is learning from the subtle places in life learning from the quiet voices, learning from the individuals who don't need to throw stuff around or shout loudly. The text concludes, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons and daughters. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers and mothers, disciplined us for a short period of time as it seemed best to them. Check this out. This is a slam on every parent in the world, writer of Hebrews. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Like, parents kind of do what they think they should do, but God really does something that's cool. I mean, you can't miss the humor there. Human parents disciplining within the boundaries of what they think is best. And, and here's where the author of Hebrews and any child agrees. Parents do what they think is best. God does what is good. God disciplines for our good, creating an atmosphere. Check this out. Listen to this. Back half of verse 10, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God disciplines, God teaches, God invites us to change our behavior into an environment where holiness can thrive. 
And, and I acknowledge the, the reality that the discipline can be a bit of a nut. It, it can be a tough nut to crack. But, but when it's done right, when we are really engaged in this idea that our behavior can change, then what is produced is absolutely magical. The author of Hebrews says, it's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And here's where we can be challenged, right? Because if our living doesn't bring peace, then I think the writer of Hebrews would argue it's not right living. That's what righteousness is, right living, correct living. If my living doesn't bring peace, the writer of Hebrews is arguing I'm living the wrong way. Another way of looking at it, you can tell if I'm disciplined appropriately if what I produce in my life is peaceful. So what's the chance of this hitting us, right? 50-50, right? Right? Either you do it or you don't. Either I do it or I don't. The probability? Oh, man. Sometimes I'm like, I think God goes, okay, don't make me calculate odds again. It's a chance that all of us have. The only variable in this discussion isn't God, it isn't the activity of Jesus Christ, it isn't the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the only variable in this activity is us. Will we allow our lives to engage in discipline? Will we take seriously the reality, the chance to change. Please pray with me. Father, I can certainly say I am grateful for my mother. Sometimes it almost feels like it was a myth. Sometimes I wish I could have one more conversation. She had steel. She had resolve. She was passionate in her personal discipleship with you and your son and your spirit. And to this day, I continue to read her words and to read the books that she gave me. I count myself fortunate, oh great God. For all of us, irrespective of whether or not we are a parent or whether or not we were a good parent or had good parents, we come to this text with the sterling example of Jesus Christ 
who invites us to a pathway that is more than anything the world offers. And does it take discipline? Oh, yeah, <laughs> without question. But is the promise of God 100% certain? Equally without question. Father, thank you for this time today. And in a powerful way, bless our mothers. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. Let's respond.